Happy Friday, everyone, and thank you for joining us on Friday, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Carrie Coppernall Jacobs with the Oklahoma Education Association. And I'm Alicia Priest, president of the OEA. Friday Okra is a weekly podcast where we get together to talk about public education issues in Oklahoma. We hope you'll join us every Friday. So our first guest today is Amanda Ewing, in charge of all things legislative at OEA. Amanda, how are you? I'm great, thanks. So there is a lot to talk about right now. So can we start out with what's going on with the budget? Um, The governor vetoed the budget as a whole, plus several line items. And then it's, there were some votes after that. Yes. So the governor not only vetoed the full budget, but he also vetoed several bills that funded public education and some other uh, parts of the budget. So uh, the legislature then quickly came back in and said, you know, look, uh, if the governor has another idea, he's welcome to share it. But uh, without some other form of funding, we're going to stick with our plan. And so both the House and the Senate Democrats and Republicans uh, got together and overrode the governor's veto. It's the first time that's happened uh, in Governor Stitt's first term. And so now we have a budget. But the governor so feels great done. about it. He woke up the next morning and, and he, he was fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw some interview where they asked him how he felt about the override. And he said, I'm something like, I'm, I've already moved on. <laughs> okay. So, so how is it that there are, you know, as you mentioned, Republicans and Democrats and OEA um, were all in agreement about overriding the veto? That is, it feels kind of unusual to have everybody agree about um, override anything, <laughs> but specifically <laughs> this overriding it. Why? Why do you think that everybody came together like that? You know. I think the legislature had to make some hard decisions about where they were going to get the funding from for this budget shortfall, especially in light of the fact that the governor is uh, tasked with spending about $800 million that would put up, you know, would, would really plug a lot of those holes, but the governor hasn't committed to spending it or told anybody where he's going to spend it. And so the House and the Senate had to make some tough decisions in their budget negotiations about uh, how to fill those holes. And, you know, two of the main ways they did it was taking uh, some money out of a few of the pension systems, including the teacher retirement system, not actually out of the system, but out of future appropriations. So we would have been getting around $300 million to TRS uh, this upcoming year and the year after, and instead we'll be getting about $230 million. But then in those bills, they put in language to uh, pay back that money over the subsequent Five years. So, point is, you know, OEA doesn't ever love, you know, money being uh, taken away from TRS, but there was just, you know, nowhere to look. I mean, the fact is, you know, if we weren't taking it from the pensions and the other big place they took it from was uh, the money that goes each year into funding our roads and bridges, um, they, they kind of did a similar thing with that. If it wasn't for that, you know, it would have meant even bigger cuts for public education and the other core services that we know Oklahoma's kids and, and you know, uh, citizens rely upon. And so um, 
you know, we don't love the solution, but we recognize that this is a this is not a problem that we've created. Like sometimes we feel like we've seen in the past, where we've said, "Look, right. we need to do more to raise taxes or whatever." That's not an option right now. So, I think they made hard decisions, and they were understandable, and they did a good job of conveying why they made those decisions. And so, you know, OEA supported them, and um, I'm not sure why the governor. Uh, did what he did in detailing those bills, especially when he didn't seem to have a better plan in the alternative. Right, and and a two and a half percent cut for public education is um, is it, it's going to hurt us, right? There are going to be consequences for, in for our kids for that cut. But with the governor's veto, that would have been a twelve percent cut for public education, and that would have been just excruciating. That's right, and we do know that the federal government has sent money to the State Department of Education to be put into our public schools at the local level. And so we know that there's, you know, $160 million going to the State Department that's going to offset that 2.5% cut. doesn't mean that our schools are going to be in great shape next year because, of course, we have increasing enrollment and we have all the connectivity issues to address. Right. But, I mean, the fact is, you know, that cut is not going to be even what it would be in a regular year when we don't have that federal money to offset it. So let's switch gears a little bit. Um, the uh, Something pretty exciting is on the Senate agenda today. Oh, finally, can't even wait. After 12 <laughs> years in the making. Um, talk to us about the cost of living adjustment for retirees. Okay, so... Yes, OEA, oh, we've been working so hard for this for so long, and uh, a cost of living adjustment for our retired educators was one of the pillars of our Together We're Stronger three-year plan that, you know, this is the third year of, and so we've been working really hard. We've been partnering with our allies in the Keep Oklahoma's Promises Pension Coalition, so uh, the firefighters, uh, the AFT, um, we work with the state employees, just lots of, you know, Lots of partners uh, working on this with us, of course, our retired educators. And so we've finally gotten this COLA uh, pushed past through the House, uh, unanimously through the House. Yes, that and, was exciting. Uh, now, yes, and so now it's waiting to be heard in the Senate. And we have, our members have been pushing all week long, contacting senators, contacting Senate leadership, saying, here's the bill. And we got word at 10 o'clock last night that uh, the bill was put on the Senate agenda for today, which is likely to be the Senate's last day of session for the year, unless they have to come back for some veto override or something uh, later. So what, um, if it if it passes, it, which we, we ex do we expect it to pass? We do, yes. I think we've got a lot of support in the Senate for it. So then, so then what can members do to make sure um, that it actually happens? So then we go to the final step, which is needing the governor's signature. And, um, you know, we haven't heard that he will veto it, uh, but, you know, recent uh, actions lead us to be a little bit nervous about that. And so I think the moment it passes the Senate, we need just a overwhelming amount of contact to the governor's office asking him to sign that bill into law. I think that will probably be what OEA members need to do over this weekend, actually. Well, we will get on that for sure. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Amanda. We appreciate the work that you have done this session in such a 
weird session. Um, and we appreciate your time today. Thanks so much for talking to me. Thank you. All right, and welcome to the second segment of Fried Okra, the Oklahoma Education Association's weekly podcast. Today, we have Amber England, who is the campaign manager and spokesperson for State Question 802. How are you doing today, Amber? I'm great, Alicia. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I just want to say I love the name. Uh, Fried Okra is one of my favorite Oklahoma uh, foods, and I always find it so great when teachers are so creative you guys have probably the most creative name on your podcast so of course teachers would do that of course of course and we've got great graphics too uh and we could probably make a sign about it and carry it around because we're very creative in those ways too so um let's talk about state question 802 for those not familiar with it tell us about it yeah state question 802 uh, is a long time coming and for about uh almost a decade now um, folks in Oklahoma have been trying to bring back over a billion dollars of our taxpayer money from Washington, D.C. to give about 200,000 Oklahomans access to health care that they lack right now. And if we pass state question 802, we're going to be able to do that. We're going to be able to bring home over a billion dollars of our taxpayer money every single year to invest in our community that would help protect jobs, uh, boost our economy, and give Oklahoma families access to health care. I'm thinking about those rural hospitals. Will it help? You know, we've had bankruptcies and closures in our rural hospitals. Would passing 802 help those folks? Oh, my gosh. You know, it it is. This is really a lifeline for rural hospitals. Since 2016, eight rural hospitals have declared bankruptcy. Twenty eight hospitals right now are vulnerable for closure in Oklahoma and six have actually already shut their doors. So what does that mean when a rural hospital shuts their door? Oftentimes it means um, folks have to drive extra miles to get the care they need when folks are having a heart attack or, you know, God forbid, somebody goes into labor and has to try to get to the to the nearest hospital to have the have a baby. You know, every second counts. And I think that rural Oklahoma understands that, um, you know, what are the two foundations of um, of a community? It's the hospital and the school. And so oftentimes you see a hospital close and and jobs go away and, and it just impacts the entire community. And so rural Oklahoma really will be impacted in a very positive way through State Question 802. And I think it's why we were able to get the most signatures in state history from every single county in the state, because those folks in rural Oklahoma really understand this issue. So I'm, I'm a little salty about that whole uh, getting the most signatures thing, because, <laughs> you know, we worked on another campaign together that that uh, got the most signatures ever, and then you, you beat us. So, um, <laughs> but that, I mean, that's fantastic, because that means it has statewide community support. The people like the idea of expansion of Medicaid. Is that is that what I'm reading into that? Yes. I mean, what I so great about Medicaid expansion is that it doesn't really matter if you're living in a rural community or in downtown Oklahoma City, or if you're a Democrat or a Republican, uh, you care about this issue because you understand that Oklahoma families lack access to care most likely you know one of those families. And if you're a teacher, you specifically know the kids in your classroom whose family struggles 
to, to stay healthy because, you know, oftentimes that kiddo is struggling in class and it, and it has nothing to do with, with their ability to learn. It has everything to do with maybe there's just, there's trauma. There's, there's things that are going on that, that just really impact whether or not they're going to even show up that day. And so I think everybody understands that this is a personal issue to them, whether they know someone specifically, or if you're a teacher, you know, it's a kid in a classroom whose family lacks access to care. Um, that is why this is such broad appeal uh, to this, because everyone understands the struggle. So I'm thinking if we had an extra billion dollars in our, in our uh, Medicaid funds, what avenues would that open up for, you know, uh, our public schools who, like you said, our children are experiencing trauma and need mental health help. And um, those that can't afford to go to the the doctor, so they come to school sick day after day, chronically ill, they could go to the doctor, they could get medicine. And I mean, that's a that's that's a big deal for our kids. Yeah, I mean, I think what you're what you're really hitting at is just the amount of money that Oklahomans are already having to expend on um, on these issues because we're not addressing the the core issue of what's going on with a family. And so, when I was talking to a public policy class the other day, there was a DHS <clears throat> a case manager on there, and she said, "You know, how does this impact DHS?" And I said, "Well, hopefully." when Medicaid expansion passes, your job gets a little bit easier because we're able, we're able, when families are healthier, they can thrive. And one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about this issue is because I truly believe that your health is the foundation for which the rest of your life sits. And so if you're not healthy, it's hard to go to school and learn, or it, it, as a kid, if your folks are not healthy, it's hard to do that. Um, it's hard to have um, you know, to be able to maintain a good paying job. And so I think you're going to see all these issues that are creating or adding to childhood trauma in Oklahoma really get better because we are actually able to make certain that that entire family is healthy. When mom and dad have access to care, can treat a mental illness, can, can do the things they need to do to stay healthy, they're going to be more engaged parents, and you know what more engaged parents means in a, for, a, for a classroom teacher is that that kid shows up ready to learn um, and can thrive. Absolutely. You know, and, um, and, and I look forward to that day, that day when we have healthy families and parental support all the way around. Um, that, would be, that would be miraculous for our kids. Um, but I would be remiss if I didn't bring up detractors. You know, uh, every campaign has detractors and, um, and people love to pit groups against one another. And so I, I have to ask, some people say that if 802 passes, um, they'll have to take money from public education to fund it. Is there any truth at all to that? There's absolutely zero truth to that. Um, first, I would say, what we know is that Medicaid expansion practically pays for itself over time. We're going to bring back over a billion dollars of our taxpayer uh, dollars every single year to invest in our community. And what that means for our community is we create more jobs and the economic impact of that billion dollars then spins off and becomes even greater. Um, but beyond that, there are ways to pay for this. And the legislature has already figured out a way to pay for that, even this session, 
um, without touching one penny of education funding. And so if anyone tries to say we're going to rob money from education or transportation, it's simply fear tactics that they're trying to use because they don't believe Oklahoma families should have access to care. And and that's super unfortunate because uh, everyone deserves a quality life and access to medical care is a fundamental part of that. So Amber, how could somebody get involved with helping State Question 802? Well, we have a great website, yeson802.org. You can go to our events tab and you can sign up to actually volunteer to make phone calls to Oklahoma voters. You can sign up for our uh, email list and we can email you ways to get involved. You can uh, you can email us at info at yeson802.org. Um, you can find us on Twitter and on Facebook. But in general, our website really is the hub of all of our activities, specifically because uh, coronavirus has really, you know, grounded us all, taken us all indoors. Um, and so a lot of our campaign is online now. It's just the way that distance learning is happening for kids across uh, the country right now. This campaign, you know, went online shortly um, after everything shut down in March. And so really going to our website is the best way to, to connect with us at yeson802.org. Yeson802.org. And if you want to email info at 802.org. Amber, we we appreciate your time this morning. Thanks for letting us know all about 802. Thank you again for having me, Alicia. It was good to visit with you this morning. All right. Thanks, Amber. And welcome to Alicia's morning announcements or afternoon or whenever it is that you're listening to this. But whatever time it is, we hope that you have liked and um, rated us quite highly for our podcast uh, on all of the formats that you can do. You know, I have no idea how all that happens. Um, I'm just the speaker in the room. All right. So uh, we are going to start pushing out our OEA awards that we usually do at our delegate assembly. And so look for those next week. We want to celebrate our award winners. Our first one that we'll be celebrating is Representative Dunnington um, with the FD Moon Award. That has to do with educational opportunities and equity, and we are so thankful for all the work that he has done. So look for that next week, and we'll do one awardee a week for until we get through all of our awardees. So um, look for those on all of our social medias. Also, last night, NEA held the National Call to Action. Uh, there were over 12,000 educators, parents, supporters of public education on the call. And, um, and it's really for us to help drive congressional action, to take action to ensure that students and communities rise up together by stabilizing education funding for students in our communities, schools, and campuses. We're asking for $175 billion in additional COVID relief emergency funds for our public schools. We are wanting to build bridges for educational opportunity for students in stronger communities through that and support the safety, health, and well-being of students and educators. I hope that you will go to www.educatingthroughcrisis.org 
educatingthroughcrisis.org and tell your congressional folks that we need additional funding for public schools. Um, the mental health issues that, that have arisen from the trauma of being out of school, the equity issues, um, the homework gap issues in, in broadband access and technology access and, uh, just getting us back on track for schools. We need that additional funding. Those issues are all over the state, too. Those are not just like a rural urban issue or a, this county or that county. It's everybody. You're right, Carrie. And the reality is it it's um, nationwide and with the hole that's in our state budget and with the budget that that um, the legislature overrode the governor's veto, it's a it's mm-hmm. a two and a half, a little over two and a half percent cut for public education. So yep. with additional funding through our our federal dollars, um, that would be super helpful for us in the state. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Our kids need all the opportunities that they can get. So uh, I hope everybody goes to educatingthroughcrisis.org and um, and writes a letter to their member of Congress. And then Carrie, Carrie. Yes. Carrie, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right now as we record, yes, the COLA bill is being heard. So oh, snap. We are on pins and needles. Oh, so we need everyone to pay attention today, Friday, and if you're listening to this later, go and search and, and see that the COLA bill, hopefully, fingers crossed, passes today as yes. we think it will. And we need everyone then, once it passes, to call the governor and urge him to sign the bill. You know, yes. he is, uh, he's got an itchy veto pen. And uh, as we've seen, he's not afraid to use it. So, Correct. Uh, so we need everyone manning the phones and calling him. Oh, man. We, and you want to know his number? Yes, please. Okay. It's 405-521-2342. Okay. So we want to fill up his voicemail every day urging him to sign that COLA bill once it gets past the, the Senate today. And yes. uh, and if his voicemail's full, email him or do yeah. both. Uh, it, yeah. There's no, there's no quick and easy way to just tell them the email, the email address for the governor. Folks have to go to governor.ok.gov and then find a link to contact the governor and push that link and then it'll populate, I guess, uh, and, and help you send an email to him without letting you know his email address. <laughs> Top secret. Top secret. You can only click a button, but at least you can click a button, right? So, yes. uh, so let's get on the calls to urge the governor to pass that COLA bill. If you are listening to this podcast, you either have a phone or some type of computer or device. So you you can do it. So what you are you saying? Everybody could do this? Everybody. Literally everybody who's listening to this. That's fantastic. Literally everybody. I'm going to do it later after we are done with this with this recording. Fantastic. Any, anything uh, exciting going on? I know that um, people can probably tell that you're not in the room with us today. You're at home. Yes. Yes, I'm at home. Um, well... 
So if something exciting didn't happen this morning. I had a COVID-19 test and it came back negative. So, oh, thank goodness. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, we were pretty nervous, but I decided to go ahead and stay home today since I've had a fever. Don't want to make, make you guys sick, but um, having a, the, the nurses and the uh, doctors and everybody at Mercy at the clinic I went to were wonderful, just like, Oh man, so like safe. Everything was super simple. I didn't have to touch anything, <laughs> but um, but they touched you your know, brain, didn't they? They did. They did. <laughs> they the the swab is longer than any swab should be, and it just goes up your nose very far inside your head, farther than you think could go inside your head. And the doctor who did my test said don't run. I'll chase you. (laughs) I was like, I'm scared of you. Uh, I will do whatever you say. When I, when I was 13, I went to the doctor to get, well, I had strep and, and, um, had to get a shot because it was so bad. And I ran around the office so that they couldn't (laughs) give me a shot. And my stepmother was the uh, nurse and, uh, she was none too pleased with me later. (laughs) Well, I was proud of myself. I didn't run. I I took the test and it was, and it tickled my brain. And I'm glad that it came back negative. We we're pretty excited this morning. So, so are what's we. Happening. We are snapping and clapping. Yes. Well, all right. Well, thank you for joining us today on Fried Okra, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Carrie Coppernall Jacobs with the Oklahoma Education Association. And I'm Alicia Priest, president of the OEA. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review Fried Okra on Apple Podcasts. If you have another platform you'd like to see the Fried Okra podcast on, or if you have any other questions, reach out to friedokrapodcast at gmail.com. We hope you'll join us again next week. Until then, Keep fighting the good fight for public education.